0: So as we head into the uh, amazing new year, um, as we mentioned, we're going to, for the next few weeks, focus partially on the halachis of Yom Tov, and to, the, to, 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 the, to our ability, share some Hasidic insight, which will inspire us to better appreciate the mitzvahs that we all have the great opportunity to be fulfilling in the upcoming weeks. The, the current Yom tif, we are Mamish a couple of days already before Rosh Hashanah. Today's Utes Tess Elul. Rosh Hashanah, God willing, will start next week, Friday night. Parenthetically, that means that this week, Mitzvah Shabbos, at Halachic midnight, or shortly after Halachic midnight, we start saying Slichus. Uh, just to mention, before we begin going into Rosh Hashanah, that it, it, it those... I'm speaking to women, that those who are able to come to say slichas, it's really kedai, it's worthwhile. Bechlal in the last few months, shuls have been closed, and when they have been opened, for for various interesting reasons, there there is a reluctance. This is on both men and women to properly return to davening in a shul. Um, I know that women are not m'chuyiv, to daven in a shul. That's true. On the other hand, there is a special presence of the Shekhinah when there is a minion. Chazal tell us that prayers in the minion are never refused. And for thousands of years, Yidin really made a superhuman effort to daven with the minion. Now, obviously, a pandemic, when it was a matter of life and death, as our abundant paskin, not only here, but the world throughout, there was a lapse, there was many weeks that shuls were closed down. Now that shuls are reopened, there are many technical challenges, uh, which is that many people became dependent on a kids' program, which is a technical you know, reality. And even though that Baruch Hashem, our kids' program is already functioning for two and a half hours, and we'll do the best we could to have a longer kids' program on Rosh Hashanah, but um, how much of Rosh Hashanah will women be davening in a shul? Obviously, that's a choice that everyone makes. I want to suggest that Slichas, again, if people have infants in their home and they are unable to leave their homes and there's nothing to talk about. But dafka, after spending many months without davening with a minion, it's really Kedai to make the effort of saying Slichas with a minion. It's around 1 a.m. I'll find out exactly what time it is or 12.30 a.m. It's Ditzemot, so is. Shabbos. It's a very powerful opening of yamtiv, even though it begins with Elul, but we're bringing it up a notch. And that means that this upcoming week, everything for the men, all the minyanim start earlier because Slichas has to be said before davening. We are mamash getting into the Yontiv zone. Another, just a short intro. And that is, is that there was a certain amount of tension and anxiety that Yontiv brings affords people. I'm speaking now to women. Simply because of the overwhelming amount of su'udas that have to be made. If there is anything positive, and there are many positive things that we should take with us as we are already many months into the pandemic, and people really did make um, lifestyle changes, I don't think there's any better year than this year to re-examine the uh, effort in the making of the meals, the quantity of food that's being prepared versus the enjoyment that it brings about. And if it does, especially if the women enjoy making them, than Kola Mamish versus if there's any part of the Gashmi Yazdika part of Yantiv that feels overwhelming or overburdensome. Just to be aware that living a more simple lifestyle over Yamtiv, not khasvishalam, not eating the meals, it's a mitzvah to have a meal, but doing it in a way where it is simpler. And if that if that makes it easier, there's no better year than this year. To head into Yantiv feeling a little less burdened by that which is relatively less important. To be able to focus on the parts of Yantiv which certainly are of greater importance. So when we speak about Rosh Hashanah, as everyone knows, anyone who has experienced communal life or education that, that you received from a non hasidic Moisid Versus the emphasis and the education and the Ruach in a Hasidic environment, there is a very fundamental difference in emphases as to what exactly is Rosh Hashanah all about. And obviously all of the paths are holy and great. But as I have this chus to be a chasid, it's my responsibility to share the uniqueness and the beauty of the Hasidic approach towards Rosh Hashanah. And I want to focus in specifically on the fact that Rosh Hashanah is known as the Yoi Mahadin and the Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment there is no group within Yiddishkeit that will negate this truth. Rosh Hashanah is also something else. And this something else is something that's currently perhaps not yet as much celebrated by non hasidim non yet Hasidim. What I'm going to share now is the main Nekudah of Rosh Hashanah. And that Rosh Hashanah is the day that we coronate God as our king. It's called the Yom Hachtara, the day of the coronation. And just think psychologically for a moment. If you live in a country where you are looking forward, you're, you're counting down to a day that all of the citizens are going to gather to coronate the king as king, that will affect your, your your ruach. We're speaking obviously about a king that's worthy of his name. We're speaking about a king that even on a selfish level, by that king actually accepting and becoming the king, it's gonna benefit you. So a day of coronation is a exciting moment versus if you're looking forward to that in a couple of days you are about to be judged and whether you will live or die is on the table, which is true, both are true. But if both are true, the emphasis, the ikir, and the tafel will make all the difference in the world of how you will relate to Rosh Hashanah, how will you get, how you'll get ready for Rosh Hashanah, and your actual Rosh Hashanah experience will change accordingly. Now, to better understand what happens Rosh Hashanah, many things are happening. But again, how do we prioritize? What becomes the ikir, and what becomes then secondary to it? All of it, all of this, all of this uh, hashkafah, let's say, all originates from the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. That the better we understand the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, the better we'll understand the general hashkafik approach towards the holy days of Rosh Hashanah. The mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is the mitzvah of the blowing of the shofar. Of course, it's a day that we daven a lot and it's a day that we should be saying a lot of Tehillim and as Chabad Chasidim, it's a day that we should make an effort to go out and do Mefzayim, particularly being involved in one way or the other, making sure that the Shofar is blown yet for another Yid. But the biblical mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is to blow Shofar. So I want to spend the first part of today's class just sharing the origin of the mitzvah of the Shofar and how did it come to be that when God tells us, these are the words in the Chumash, it should be a day of Terua. then when it comes to eating matzah, we eat a kazais even though that also became one kaza'is. if you make a ka'ara, a you should have five kezayis, but that has to be explained, right? God says, take the lulav, you take the lulav. Here, God says a day of truah, and there's a tremendous amount of soundings that we do, that total 100 that's aside of the minute to add another 30 at the end to confuse the satan that I'm not even going to speak about this year. But how did we get to a hundred shaifer sh- soundings when it says in the Chumash, Yoyim Teruah, a day of Teruah. So there are a couple of steps over here. Step number one is, is that it says three times in the Torah, Yoyim Teruah Yielochem. Since God mentions it three times, that means that God is telling us to blow the Teruah three times. That's step number one. Step number two, And all of this is expounded a lot more in the Gemara, but Chazal, we have a source from the Chumash that whenever it says to sound a teruah blowing, whatever teruah means, a teruah blowing is never a a sound that we make by itself. A teruah always has to be preceded. It has to have a tkia sound blown before it, as well as it always needs to have a tkia sound blown after it. So if God is telling us to blow a trua, and God writes that three times, three teruahs, and we also have a biblical source that when you blow the teruah, you have to sound a, a tkia both one sounding of tkia before and another sounding of tkia after. So now you have a biblical nine soundings of the shofar that you have to do. I know that nine is very far from a hundred, but we're getting somewhere. Okay, so now we got that. Now, understanding how how the practice of Yiddishkeit evolved, the trua, the trua, which is a word, tkia, we know what it means. Tkia means a simple, plain, long, elongated blow of a scheifer. So two, that will be a tkia sound. What trua means, there are three options, what they mean. All of them, according to the Gemara, according to the simple Pshat, are, are some sort of crying sound. Now, there are three ways that people cry. The M is there are two ways that people cry, but some people combine them both together. That's the third way. One way is, is that a person makes three short sounds, which is what we what we call the shvarim. Right now, there are many minhagim in the shvatim themselves. Many people blow a shvatim as two, two, two. Many people break each one of these sounds, so a broken sound doesn't just mean a very short kiya. A broken sound means a sound that is broken, so it's two, 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 and then the third sound they break twice, which is tu, tu, two, two, two. But generally, shvatim is a is a three short soundings of a cry. It's like when a person cries, they go, ah, ah, ah. They cry out three times. And then you have a different type of cry that we call teruah. It's not what we know God means. We don't know exactly what the teruah and the chumash means. But when we in halacha speak about a teruah, it's an extremely broken up sound. Uh, 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 uh. It's like someone who is gasping, trying to hop their breath, and they can't even do that. So, it's, it's many little soundings. So again, there's a question as to what does trua mean? Either trua means ashvarim, or the trua means what we call a trua, or it means both, or it means both. Which is taka? What happens very often that when a person is deeply crying, they begin making the sound similar to what we call ashvarim, and then they go from there into the trua sound. So these three options, all of these three options is what a trua might mean. So in order for us to make sure that we are covering our ground, we do all of it. Now how does all of that amount to 30 soundings? I'll tell you how. Again, times three. That's nine. Times three because God says to blow the trua three times. Each trua. If the trua means a shvarim, you gotta blow a tkiya before and a tkiya afterwards. Then you do the other option, what we call a trua tkiya turua tkiya. That's three times. But before we do that, I just went out of order. The first one is maybe the trua is both. Maybe the trua is tkiya shvarim, trua tekia. We have to do that three times. So what's the total soundings? So without thinking, a person was well, that's 27. Right? Because right 9 times 3 is 27. But we don't call that 27 soundings because since the Shvarim and the Teruah, when we do them both together, they have different names. So we don't say that it was Tkia, Shvarim Teruah, Tkia 3. We call that 4. Tkia, Shvarim Teruah, Tkia. So 4 times 3 is 12. So if you have 12 plus 18 you got yourself 30. I hope that math worked out, but it really, the biblical blowings amount to 30, even though, how funny, God says, blow a truah, but like we mentioned, God says that three times, then we have a tradition, it's tkiya before tkiya afterwards, and now we have a doubt what a truah means, so to make sure that we are fulfilling the mitzvah, miday of hearing the sounding of the shofar, we have to hear, and therefore we have to sound, 30 separate soundings. Now, another question, how did that doubt even come about? When God gave us the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu was a very practical teacher. So he didn't only come and share the words that God said, he demonstrated how to do it. You know, when it says, when it comes to the laws of Kashrus, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was teaching the animals that are kosher, that are not kosher, God made a miracle and all of these animals came to Moshe in the desert. And he made a demonstration which is amazing, right? That's audio-video what we have today for us to see what God is talking about. So how did it come about that there was a doubt? Why didn't this work like all the other parts of Yiddishkeit? I'm going to make the soundings the way my father did, the way I heard it when I was a child in shul. And the the people that blew it in shul when I was a child, they in turn were also children years prior. And the whole Yiddishkeit is that way. It's it's called a tradition. It's called the Masaitis. So it must be that from the beginning... From the beginning, there are different types of truas, as I'll explain. I'll be From the beginning, there were different menhagim because they were all a possible way, a acceptable way of sounding the sounding of what God calls a trua. You can either only blow a shvarim, you can either only blow a trua, you can blow both a, shvur, a shvarim and a trua. And as time went on, different co- uh, communities made a different sounding. So there came a point hundreds of years after Moshe Rabbeinu gave all these options where Chazal, where the sages didn't want for different communities to have a whole different type of soundings. We want to try to make it more similar. So they brought it all together. Bringing it all together is the ultimate peacemaker because we're not picking one side over the other. What Chazal said is, is that everyone should express all different types of crying sounds. And as we'll get further on, Really, all of these sounds are connected to a different type of tshuva and different communities needed to do different types of tshuva. And now we have the luxury of us externalizing all types of tshuva. And the better we understand that, then the more option, the more opportunity we have to actually experience tshuva on many different levels as we'll get to later. Okay, but I want to first finish the technical part. We're not done yet. Atkan. Are the soundings of the shofar that we make after we make the brachas, like any other mitzvah? You say a bracha before you make a bracha before you do the mitzvah. So we make the brachos. Really, two brachas because we make a shachiyanu. and then, and then we do the sounding of the shofar and we blow a total of thirty to cover the biblical obligation. In halacha, these soundings are called the soundings that one sits yushav from Yoshev. even though our meaning is to stand, but you should know that halachically there's nothing wrong with you sitting to the point that when we go muftsaim and sometimes when the uh, Yid is not yet understanding the importance of hearing and they're simply doing me a favor that they're gonna hear. And if you're gonna start telling, them, well, stand up and do this and do that, they might just say forget about the whole thing, then then you don't even tell them to stand up. there's not there's no obligation at all. I'm not talking about minik, I'm talking about chiyuf. There's no chiyuf to stand. Indeed, these tkiyas are called the soundings that are done while everyone else is sitting down. However, now came the chachamim, rabbinic. And they said that aside of doing the mitzvah of sounding the shofar, which is done as a standalone mitzvah, you make the blessings and you give all the 30 soundings. Aside of that, the soundings of the shofar should be incorporated in the Musa prayer. Musaf, which is a shwaina esrei, has to be davened, standing. So they call that the tkiyas of standing. How many times do you sound the shofar during musaf? Well, during the silent musaf, another 30. During the repetition of musaf, yet another 30. So, so far 30, 30, and 30. And then during the final kaddish, the kaddish after musaf, another 10. So, you have the 30 biblical and you have the 7D rabbinic, which is also extremely significant, Al Pichasidis. But again, if we might get back to that, we might not. And that's the total of the 100 soundings that we make to fulfill both the biblical and the rabbinic obligation, covering all the bases, fulfilling the sounding of the shoi for three times, V'chuli, V'chuli. At Khan, is that clear? So far, so good? So far, so good. Good. Now, a, a couple yeah, of points. The, 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 beauty, the beauty of knowing all this is as follows. Is that when, when you know, we, we, are, we are Orthodox Jews, thank God. Not that, not that the rebel liked the title, but I just want to use the title to make the following point. The main difference between Orthodox Jews and conservative Jews, the main difference, I'm not talking about Reform Jews. I'm not talking about Jews that uh, at least consciously deny the divinity of the Torah. No, conservative Jews believe in the in the divinity of Tanakh of the of the written Torah. However, they strongly believe that the power that God gave to the rabbinate to uh, legislate, not to take away but to add, is not a power that ended at the times of the closing of the Talmud. But just like the rabbis in the times of old had a certain uh, autonomy to modify to limit to 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 restrict to incorporate etc that we also have that same ability that is one of the fundamental uh, theological differences and therefore there is a um let me speak in the positive bias that we are very careful to adhere to all rabbinic law we never have that oh, that's only rabbinic it's not biblical that is the that is the point in where the, the yidin that are observant fork away from those who have other names. That's the beginning of, of, of all which is not positive. So I'm not saying it's good to know that it's rabbinic to minimize it. I am saying it because, I'll give you an example, women bachlal are not obligated to hear the shofar. They're not obligated, but if you hear the shofar, you get the great mitzvah. So, don't feel bad, for example. I'm speaking now only to women. That if you were, you managed to go to shul and you heard the initial 30 sounds, you mamish fulfilled the mitzvah of shoifer. And if, for whatever circumstances, you can't wait, you can't stay in shul until the end of musaf, or for whatever other reason, you didn't hear the other 70, uh, you got the mitzvah. You didn't get the rabbinic mitzvah, but you got the biblical mitzvah. I'm saying this to women because you're not for anything. So that's one one akuda. And even I'm a mefzaim, it, it, It's not so simple to blow a hundred, a hundred soundings for people. I have some experience. Many people, when they go to a non-Orthodox shul, the sounding of the shofar is very short. You know, they make a tkiyah You know, or they simplify. They made it. They they make it brief. And now they're gonna you blow and you blow and you blow and there's no end to it. There's no end to it. It's not so wise. It's not so wise because maybe even if they'll have a respect and they'll hear the blowing of the Shafet, the whole hundred sounds, maybe next time, next year, when someone is going to ask them, do you want to hear the Shafet? And he remembers that last year it took up his 15 minutes or 10 minutes. He's going to say, I'm in a rush. So I'm just throwing it out there. When we go Mevtsayim, we make 30 soundings. We do not make all of the uh, 100 soundings. And then there's another question. The other question is, is that the rabbinic soundings are to be incorporated in musaf? So if someone is not going to daven musaf, is there bachlal any rabbinic obligation to make more than the 30? That's another very valid discussion that we have. So throwing that all in there, it's good to be aware of the above. And just the final one, one final technicality is that aside of the hundred soundings, 30 Midr and the 70 Midr then there was a concept of confusing the Satan. And if you remember, if you stay in Shul until the end, of, the end, the end, the end of musaf, after we say the Tehillim of the day, then we make a final 30 soundings. The great thing about those 30 soundings is that people who might have come to Shul late who might have missed even 30, this is their opportunity to chaparayn and to get all the 30 soundings of the shoifer. And Hasidim say, this is not the real meaning, but we say this, as a jest, as a Hasidic jest, that how do we confuse the satan when the satan sees that we are not only selfishly out to I got my mitzvah, but we are concerned for another Jew and we are excited to blow the shaifer for another yid, that completely disempowers, that takes away the kayak from the satan He becomes confused. Because yeah, are we perfect? No. If he wants to judge us, if he wants to find that which we did uh, not good last year, he'll find by everyone. But it's all about the sum total picture. The sum total picture is that we are yidin. That we want to do what God wants. And we we're not selfish. We have failings. We have a Yetzir Hara. And we have to better it. And we have to do tshuva. But it simply it sweetens the judgment. And that's the way we also understand at a certain level. The beauty of blowing shoyfer at the end of davening yet again. Okay. So now I want to shelve all of this. And I want to jump to a similar topic about shofar, and then to, to, to the ability and to the time that we have we'll link them both together. Why do we blow the shofar? What's the meaning behind the shofar? Well, why do we do each and every mitzvah? Is that a valid question? That is a valid question. It's a valid question, not because we only do the mitzvah because we understand it, God forbid. No, we do the mitzvah because God gave us the mitzvah. We always begin and end with that. So why do I blow the shofar? Because God gave me the mitzvah. I'm doing what God wants. That's the best answer and that has to be the first answer. That's the base. Once I have that as a base, it is important for us to make our effort to understand each and every mitzvah to our ability and to grow with that knowledge, not to be satisfied. Every year you should become more curious. For many reasons, the better you understand the mitzvah, the more excited you'll be about it, the more you will feel for it. And doing the mitzvahs with feeling, which is with kavanah, is certainly a lot better than doing mitzvahs without kavanah. Then there is another reason, that part of the mitzvah of learning tried to understand the mitzvahs. So it's a mitzvah to understand the mitzvahs. So again, I'm looking to understand it because that is also a mitzvah. When it comes to Shoefer, one of the earliest post-Talmudic commentators... A Jew by the name of Rav Saadio. Saadio. We call him Rav Saadio Gaon. Rav Saadio Gaon. We have some of his written works. So in Rav Saadio Gaon, he wrote down 10 reasons to the mitzvah of the Shaifer. Again, he doesn't write, God said it. That's before the reason. And I want to begin with the first two. And maybe in shul, on Rosh Hashanah I'll speak about the third reason, which is very Negei to this year with COVID. But the first two, and it's also, uh, when I speak about the ten, and the first two, and then the ones later, that when Hasidus quotes this Rapsad Goin and all of his ten reasons, we understand that his order is of a order of prioritization. The reason that he gives first is considered the most important reason. And likewise, the second is the second most the first reason that Rabsadiyeh Goyin gives to the understanding of the mitzvah of shofar is like we mentioned in the intro of today's talk, and that is, is that the blowing of the shofar is the act that we do that expresses God's coronation. Just like physically in this human world, it became just the nature of things that whenever there is a new king that needs to be coronated part of the procedure is that there is a trumpet sounding the reason why human beings behave that way is because intuitively there is something about us that continuously reflects the truth above the uh, truth is there's one king god is the king and god is the king always yes but as Hasidus emphasizes there is a yearly Reinvestment, we just learned this parenthetically, as we do every year in the Chit As-tanya, that God's involvement of the world is to a certain level on a yearly basis. God invests Himself in this project of His, and God questions His own investment. Every year in the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, God says, why am I doing this? Maybe I should do a different... Everything is questioned, that's the judgment. And then when we blow the shofar, at that moment, God reinvests himself in being the king of the world. So there is a yearly coronation that takes place, initiated not by God, initiated by the Jewish people. In other words, if the world would have known exactly what is really happening when Jews blow the shofar. They would have. They they would have. The world would have guaranteed that every Jew is in shul, and involved, and excited about the blowing of the shofar, because it's the most important moment of the whole year. This is the moment that God, so to say, is questioning, and therefore God is removed from being a king over the world, with all of the consequences, with all of the responsibility, with all of the whole package. That the moment of coronation is the is the shofar is the moment in which we blow the shofar. And that is Rav Sadyogon. He bases it on the Gemara. We say this even in the prayers. That the reason why we say verses that refer to God as a king, <speaking in Hebrew> Because through our avoid of Rosh Hashanah, we are the ones that cause God to be a king. That's the first reason. The second reason, Rab Sadya gives is because Shaifar is like a Ruch Azdika spiritual alarm clock, awakening up the soul within us to do tshuva. Just like physically when a person is deep asleep, a person is in a deep slumber, sometimes you need to make a noise to chop them back, to draw them back to this reality. Spiritually is the same, that there are times based on our behavior that some part of our soul is deep asleep, And the awakening, the moment in which you're calling out to your own neshama, "Allo, wake up, return to God, etc. That is done through Shoefer. Which one does Rabsadi go and mention first? Coronation. Which one does he mention second? Tshuva. Now Tshuva is very much connected to the fact that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. Tshuva has to be done every day. But why are we calling out for tshuva only on Rosh Hashanah? Why is that? Because since it is a day of judgment, and God in His compassion made a rule that even if we in the past did something for which the judgment would be guilty, if the person, if the violator resolves not to repeat it, As far as God is concerned, if the violation did not hurt others, if it was a violation between man and God, God fully forgives us. And even during a judgment, it won't even be brought up on the table. So since Rosh Hashanah is a day of din, then therefore Rosh Hashanah is the day in which to do tshuva. So there's tshuva and then there's coronation. Now, Hasidus says like this, Before any reason, before any reason of Rapsad Yegoin, Shoefer is a mitzvah. So why do I blow the shaifir? Well, first I'm going from the base up and I'm climbing a ladder. I'm blowing the Shoefer because it's a mitzvah. Shoefer also is an arousal for tshuva. And on the highest level, shaifir is the instrument through which we coronate God as our king with many, many details, as is expounded a lot in Chabad Chassidus. Now, these three steps of mitzvah, tshuva and kingship, they follow a very logical sequence, again, from the lower level to the higher level. And here are the words that are very deep and they can be fabranged about and spoken about. But the a is the following. We experience ourselves not to be one with God, <laughs> to the point that without our effort, Rahman people might think about God very little during their day and during their lives, or worse. We have to make an effort to become more connected to God. The way a Jew connects to God is through the mitzvahs. The word mitzvah means connection. Now if I need an instrument through which to connect to God, that, that, that implies that if I did not keep that mitzvah, I don't have that connection. Or even worse, if I violated the mitzvah, then I sever the prior connection. However, there is a power called tshuva. In the context of being connected or disconnected to God, tshuva means that there is a part in me that without effort, I'm unaware of it, that doesn't need mitzvahs to be connected to God. And therefore, even though I cut my connection through the mitzvahs, because I broke a mitzvah, the way, mystically, that is rectified is the moment I'm a gallop, the moment I reveal that I'm still connected. And I always was connected. When that comes out, then the, the 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 spiritual damage, not the act itself that I, I didn't do what God wanted, that act I lost. But the 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 spiritual downside of violating God's mitzvahs in the context of am I connected or not connected? Well, I I I I really was always connected. So I'm still connected. So I rectify the blemish of the lack of the mitzvah by revealing a deeper part of me. Now I have to reveal that. I'm not aware of it. And that is exactly what Tshuva is all about. Why Why would a person even cry for a past mistake if not for the fact that the person yearns to be connected and the person feels bad because of the lack thereof? The person would want to be more respectful of God and therefore I feel bad that I was less respectful. In other words, oh, the feelings of Tshuva are, are the greatest testament that there is something in me that cares enough to want to do tshuva. As we find that, God forbid, there can be a person that is not only not connected to God through mitzvahs, but they don't, they're they not inspired to do tshuva, they won't even do tshuva. They don't care enough because that connection, which they also have, is buried within them so deep that they don't yet know how to access that. To say the same thing in different words, you have the ratzoyin of Hashem, you have the will of God. The will of God are God's mitzvahs. The mitzvahs is God's will. What does God want? The mitzvahs. But the will of God is coming from God. God is called in Hasidus the Baal Haratzin, the master of the will. So if I severed my connection on the level of will, I still have my connection to the master of the will, to the Baal Haratzin, And that is true on all levels. chuva will ultimately they will they, they will lift me above. They will bring out something greater in me. And on that level, there is no blemish that was made bachlal by the sin or the lack thereof, and that's the tikkun that is done through tshuva. Even though tshuva is much greater than a mitzvah, but by the very fact that tshuva is mitzvah related, since there is the will of God, and I violated the will of God, I in the past did wrong, now I feel bad about it even though the feeling bad is not the essence of tshuva, but it becomes part of the tshuva process, that there's a certain amount of charata, and there's a certain amount of introspection, and there's a certain amount of bitterness, and I could have been better, and I should have been better, and I made this mistake, and oh my God, and why did I do that? So all of that, all of that is connected to mitzvahs. So even the connection that is revealed through tshuva is not connecting me to the essence of God that is beyond even being beyond And therefore, if I want to, and we have the koyach of connecting to God first on this deepest of levels, it cannot be mitzvah-related. Not even in a positive way. Not even in a tshuva way. What is b'chlal not mitzvah-related? It's not about me. It's not about my connection. Not even about my connection. It's about God's desire to be my king. It's about I want to experience God's coronation. Now, eventually, once God is the king, a king will eventually make decrees. But it's not about his decrees. It's not even about my tshuva'ing for the lack of my keeping his decrees. It's not about decrees at all. It's not even about God on the level that is called the Baal Haratzim. God is beyond that as well. The essence of God is so one with the essence of the Jew that on that level we 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 refer to God, we connect to God. That God is my King. That's it. I did fulfill His commandments. I didn't fulfill His. That's secondary. Of course, it's important, but in the context of God is my King, God is my King, and I am His servant. And we Dafka Hasidus explains the beauty of emphasizing God being a King. There is also a essential connection between a parent and a child. But we're not celebrating that. We're not celebrating that. And I'll tell you why. Because a a healthy relationship of parent-child, which is a relationship of love, allows the child to exist. If a parent so overwhelms the child that the child has no self, then the parent is not doing a good job parenting. Parenting means that the parent is superior to, but there is a child. And they're bound together on an essential level. And Taka, it also emes, God is our parent. The concept of kingship of Malchus, and now in the 2020 culture, I want to use words, bidafka to make us appreciate this Nakud of God being a king, is that a servant or a slave, a slave is not a person, a slave has no identity, a slave is the property of. We celebrate the fact that we are God's slaves. In that context, God is the melech. God is not the father. Children are not slaves. In other words, the whole nekuda of of celebrating Rosh Hashanah as the day in which we reveal the highest connection that exists, the highest connection is, is that of course we are connected to God because there is nothing other than God. There is only God. God's existence overwhelms and excludes all else. So when we say we don't exist, it's not in the negative. It means that we are part of God's God's existence. We are God's slave. We are His property. We are His extension. Completely beyond me obeying or me not obeying His commands. Me obeying is predicated on me existing. There is a me that can choose to obey or not. There is a deeper level of me. The deepest level of me is that the eye of a Jew is the eye of God. Not E-Y-E, the I as the capital I. In that context, we, 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 we verbalize that by, by celebrating God's kingship. We're, we're not even a child, we're just a citizen. We're like a slave, it's better than a citizen. A citizen gives too much dignity. I'm not saying that a slave, we're not using the word slave to take away the dignity. We're celebrating the word slave to emphasize the fact that there is that there's nothing other than God. Everything else is, 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 is part of God. It belongs to God. We belong to God. And that's the highest level of the blowing of the shoifer. And coming, bringing it back now to the three basic sounds of tkia and teruah and tkia, the first tkia is the coronation of God. And it has to be a simple sound. It has to be a one sound. Two, because there's only one God. Only one God. The final t'kia represents a mitzvah, that when we do a mitzvah, we're connected to God, even though it's us doing the mitzvah, but while we are into it, while we're doing it, and taka, we're connected, vaited, it's one sound. The middle sound, with all of the different minhagim, shvarim, or teruah, or shvarim teruah, are all different levels of tshuva. That when we're not living in this deepest of essential reality, that it's all God. When we're not involved in a mitzvah which connects our lower self to God, which is great, that's the beauty of the mitzvah, even while we're not part of God, we become become one with God. But there is an in-between, there is a failing of a person. There is us being connected and then thus failing. And as we all know, there are different types of failings. People that fail a couple of times and then they get it right. People that constantly get it right, to, 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 in, out, up, down, connected, disconnected. And you have Shavarim, all different types of failings and all different types of levels of chuva. All of that is represented through the through the trua, through the general turua sound. And throughout history, different Jews related to different levels of chuva, which is why when they blew the sounds, they blew it according to their feelings. is a feeling. And Taka, when people cry, people cry different ways. Those different ways are are really expressing different types of heartbrokenness, different types of tshuva. And we do them all. We do them all with the hope that as we do it externally, we will become more mindful of what we're doing, we'll understand better what we're doing, and therefore, ultimately, we'll have a greater experience. So this is the general concept that we're coronating God and we're doing tshuva on all different levels And then we are at the end, we're celebrating that Tkia G'doyla is the greatest celebration. And that is, is that we are all in the direction of properly keeping the mitzvahs. As we just finished our Mashiach series, that the whole desire of Mashiach is not for the person. It's not even for the temple per se. It's about doing all the mitzvahs. We want to be able to do all the mitzvahs. And we want for all of our lives to be one big mitzvah. Some of them are direct mitzvahs. Some of them are things that we need to do in order to be able to do the mitzvah a preparation for a mitzvah, a preparation for the preparation. But ultimately, as we get wiser, we are all following this one long act of t'kia of inspiring all of our behavior to be completely aligned with, unbrokenly, with the with the desire of God and therefore to be connected with God's Ratzin and therefore ultimately, ultimately the way Hasidus says is that the connection of God being a king is, is not the greatest connection because it negates you. The ultimate connection is, is that you are you, that we're not a slave, we are people, and we are continuously choosing to keep God's holy mitzvahs by doing exactly that which He wants, by abstaining from exactly that which He doesn't want. And that is part of the big, we the very connected to Mashiach, which is when we will be keeping all of the